Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. I'm reminded as we've been singing this entire time, I don't know if you were here last week, Pastor Bryson's message, I believe it was just last week, uh, on holiness and the challenge to kneel in prayer three times, if you could, each day. I have to confess, I didn't make it three times every day. Don't judge me, Carol. Don't look at me sideways. I didn't make it quite three times, but I, every time I did, it shifted me. It changed my internal perspective. It reminded me that I'm not just talking to my buddy. I'm not, I mean, he's my companion. He's my friend and he's close to me, but I'm not just talking to my buddy. I'm talking to the great creator of all that ever, is, ever was, all that is, and all that ever will be. And he will be when it's gone. He's the alpha. That means the beginning, beginning of the alpha, alphabet in Greek. And he's the omega. That's the end. He's the beginning and the end. He's the starter of all starts. He's the beginner of all beginnings, and he's the end of all endings. And he is the great and holy one in whom there is no flaw. And I just had wonderful, beautiful times of worship. I had tears in the carpet. I had tears on my face. I had to go up sometimes to get a tissue. But the Lord met me in beautiful ways. Did any of you try that even just once? Just once you got on your knees before the Lord. I want to encourage you. That's one of those things you don't just do. You know, a sermon told you to do it and then you walk away from it and never do it again. I hope that becomes a habit of your life if it hasn't been. I know we live in a culture that is increasingly casual and familiar. When I was growing up, you know, I was, I was fearful. If I called an adult something other than Mr. or Mrs., even if they told me to. No, you could just call me Sue. If I called her Sue, man, I was in trouble. That was, that, that was not the way we were raised. No, we're wars. We don't, da 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 right? And I, and I get that we're in a more casual culture. I'm not too terribly worried about it. I'm not going to be the old fuddy-duddy here telling you, oh, I wish. And there's, you know, kids still coming to my house, and yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and Mr. Warden. I don't mind that one bit. I know we're more casual, but I don't think we need to be quite as casual with God as we have often been. I don't think we need to treat him like he's some monster either. But kneeling before him, even though he's merciful and gracious, has been beautiful to me. I was reflecting as I was uh, praying for tonight throughout the day and a little bit last night. I was reflecting on how I saw God, though, when I was growing up. And when I was growing up, it was all the way the reverse. I think now we could use somebody telling us to kneel. But when I was growing up, God was an angry, uh, capricious, if you know what that word means, changes his feelings in a moment, mercurial, up and down. He could strike me at any minute he wanted to. That's kind of how I saw him. I lived in not just fear in the sense of reverence or respect, fear in the sense of terror. When I heard the pictures of God that were given to me, and it seemed as though you could never, ever do enough to feel as though you were okay. No matter how hard you tried, 
you were never good enough and you were going to feel that way. I was terrified of communion because if, if I do it wrong, then I'm drinking a curse unto myself. You know, some of you have gone to sleep early, AKA died because you did it wrong. Now, if you do it wrong, so then what, you know, what do you do with that? Uh, am I right? Am I not right? Am I okay? Am I not okay? Should I take this? Right? There was fear. Did anybody else have any of that? It got to the point where, and part of this was there was so much legalism, so many things you should do, so many things you shouldn't do, uh, so many things you had to get just right, and, and, and it was, I know not all of you grew up in that, and that's fine, but it got to the point that I didn't want that God, and I decided he didn't exist, not because he didn't exist, but because I didn't want him to. Because he was so awful and terrifying and mean, I just didn't want that God. There was nothing compelling to me about it. And then the rebellion that I then ran into and the complete rejection of him was very damaging to me and to others. How do we figure out the holiness of God without messing up how we relate to him? How do we understand the holiness of God and communicate the holiness of God without driving people away from him? The very one we're trying to draw others to. Maybe I could put it in a more personal way. How do we draw near to the holiness of God in the first place anyway? Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of a hangry, an angry God. Did you study about him at school? Did you read about him? Is it, so he would describe us like a spider on a thin silken thread hanging over the fires of hell. And by the time he was done with his sermon, everybody's screaming and welling and terrified. It, it, there's a, a sense in which our entire society now is repelled by that. That was once drawn. How do we draw near to God and communicate how to draw near to God in a way that still reveres him and honors him and recognizes his holiness, but doesn't drive everybody else away? Do you care about that? Well, three are with me and three over here, and that is all I need. So uh, turn with me if you want to Leviticus. We'll be in Leviticus 19 to start. Leviticus, believe it or not, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I know that's where everybody gets stuck on their New, Year res New Year's resolution to read through the Bible. Some of you might have made it there and you've already give, you've just changed your resolution. You just said, my resolution is to make it through the Bible this year. Hit Leviticus and said, well, you know, I'll just go back over to the New Testament. Forget that. We'll just do the New Testament again. Uh, but when you do a book study of all the book of Leviticus, it is about the holiness of God. It's about the holiness of God and how do God's people draw near to the holiness of God. And we're not going to stay in Leviticus, but I want to draw out some things from it, both good and in a bad way, if I can. Leviticus 19 says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, 19 verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be, for I, the Lord your God, am. So there it is. It's already set it out in front of us. You shall be holy. For I am holy. I am holy, therefore approach me in holiness. There's, there's the trouble. You should be holy as I am holy. 
uh, said the Lord, every one of you shall revere his father and mother, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I'm the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day that you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it's eaten on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. Everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, let's pause for a second. <laughs> we don't like to read this for a reason, right? There's, there's, there's very specific instructions, and then there's very significant consequences. And then it goes to more specific instructions and more significant consequences so that we make sure that we lay the ground and the foundation that God is holy. Do it wrong, you get cut off. That's not, not true anymore. That's still true in a sense. But hold on. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, verse 10. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. If we get paid every other week. The wages of a hired man shall not stay in your house until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. Now, why do you have to give some of these rules, right? You know, I mean, this sounds like junior high. Now, don't you can't put a little rock out in front of somebody who can't see. They fall down. You all start laughing. We had to write that in the Bible. It's, just, it's in there. You shall not uh, put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but you shall Fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Are you catching the feel of this? There's a whole list. This is, we're not even through the chapter. This is Leviticus 19. There's 18 chapters before, and we're not through this one yet. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love, this is the one you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's going on in this passage? And is this how we approach the holy? So, you have to recognize, first of all, that God needs to lay a foundation so that we understand from all time just how serious the situation is and, and just how difficult it is for us to fix it. And in a lot of ways, this is how I see the old Leviticus system, because the New Testament kind of teaches me uh, to do it this way. If I can find it somewhere in here is some scotch tape. I see it like scotch tape. Now, we just came out of Christmas not long ago. Do you ever get the, that wrapping paper that's kind of, uh, it just doesn't want to stick with this? You know, you fold it over and you bend the thing and then you try to tape it down and it just won't stay stuck. Now, some of you, you know, you don't wrap any of your gifts. I can tell. You're not moving your head one way or the other. You're trying to act really, really sober like you, mm, I, I don't want to lie in church, but I don't know. I don't understand what you're talking. Some papers tape won't stick. 
So what you usually end up doing is you pull out another piece and then you pull out another piece and you tape it over here and you tape it over there and you keep trying to tape that thing. And, and the tape is trying to hold things together that keep falling apart. And what the whole Levitical system is in many ways is scotch tape that you have to keep putting on things and God knows it's not gonna stick. He knows already it's not gonna stick. Or he could just say, love your neighbor as yourself and be done. But no, okay, well, if you get that wrong, well, go make another sacrifice. That way you're not living with a guilty conscience and thinking, well, I'm guilty anyway. Might as well do whatever I want to do. And then after you've given your sacrifice, well, make sure you don't hold a grudge over there because you've got to live. Right? Well, if there's a problem with them, they've done something wrong. Well, go speak frankly with them. And if you then speak frankly with them, you want to make sure you don't get any sin on you. So you, you don't want to sin at the same time as you're speaking frankly with them. And then if, they, if you've done anything wrong against them, then you need to pay that back. And make sure you don't lie while you're doing it because if you lie, that's going to mess you up. And he keeps trying to pull all these seams together and none of this tape will ever finally stick. So is that the way we approach the holy? Keep trying to put more tape. Do, do the little things that hold stuff together that keeps falling apart. Now we know in the book of Hebrews it says that the, the priest would give up, stand up and give sacrifices day after day that could never take away sins, but they have to keep giving them day after day after day after day after day, tape after tape after tape after tape after tape. So why does God ask us to do it? Because we think we can. And we still sometimes do. We treat things like communion as a piece of tape. Or reading the Bible as a piece of tape. Or going to church as a piece of tape. Or getting in our life group as a piece of tape. Or listening to some worship music. i got to hold this together. I'm starting to fall apart. I better put on some worship music. I'm starting to feel like I want to go do that thing again. got to call my friend. And so even in this current era, we're tempted when things are falling off like this to get a piece of tape on it and stick it down. They're going to keep falling apart. Well... You know, if it's not tape, what else do we need? There's another version of holiness in the Old Testament. You might want to flip to Isaiah. Can you guess what chapter? Any of you who love holiness? Isaiah, there's lots of it in, the, in Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 6 is one of the preeminent holiness texts in all of the Bible. Now remember we're talking about being set apart and God is set apart and he is holy. We want to be set apart to him. How do we approach the holiness of God without driving other people away? Do they have to keep throwing on more tape, more tape, more tape, more tape and keep telling us it's not sticking, it's not sticking, it's not sticking. What more do I need to do? How much more do I need to do? Is that what they need? Well, we know from the Levitical system and how it worked for the Hebrews that it won't accomplish it. As if the sacrifice of bulls and goats could ever take away sin. As if God was hungry. As if the law would ever lead us out of sin. It's the law that led us to sin, Paul tells us. The tape itself sometimes got stuck in the wrong place. So what do we do? 
Well, there's a tradition that comes from Isaiah 6 that focuses on something else. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and two. with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is toned for. So Isaiah is taken up into heaven and given a vision of God from far away. He sees him. He's high. He's lifted up. Most of his vision is filled with the train of his robe filling the temple. Most of else what he sees is he sees creatures over here crying out about the holiness of God. Even though they're holy, they recognize he is holier, holier, holier. And so they call it out and they cover themselves in his presence. And he feels terrified because he's catching just a glimpse, like out of his peripheral vision, he's catching a glimpse of the king of glory. Woe is me. I'm undone. And so there's a tradition in faith that comes from scripture to a degree that if we get what they call a beatific, I can't even say it, beatific vision, a blessed vision, beatific vision. If we can just get blessed by seeing God, catching a glimpse of God, even if it's kind of through our fingers, peering sideways out of our peripheral, it will so transform us that then we'll finally be holy. So people who believe this then pray and seek and fast and long for God to show up to them in a way that the vision of him completely transforms them. Have you heard of this? Very few ever actually receive a full beatific vision. Thomas Aquinas felt that he did, and he had written tomes and tomes about God, one of the most powerful theologians to ever live. When he received a vision of God, he put his pen down and said, none of the words I have ever written or ever could write would ever measure up, and I can write no more. But most of us, number one, don't get a vision. And even those of us who do, we can't ever quite look right at him. Do you realize that Isaiah doesn't even look right at him? It would destroy him. He doesn't fully see him. He sees his robe. He sees the seraphim. He sees the glory. And he's terrified. You know, so when the sun is really bright, what, what we do is we try to do this, Right? We put on some sunglasses so that we can, our eyes won't be hurt. And these are the cheapest little sunglasses. They were just left somewhere. I, I found, I had to find a pair of sunglasses. Was, I, no, these are mine, but they're, they're, they're like $12 sunglasses. Don't make fun of them. This is what I could find. It was either these or my wife's sunglasses. So I 
So I chose these. So, oh, all right. So this pair of sunglasses. No sunglasses could dim it enough for us to ever look directly at the sun unless we couldn't see. Damn it. No sunglasses could ever, spiritual sunglasses, could ever make it so that we could, in our current state, look directly at God. The New Testament does tell us that then we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So in a sense, that tradition is right in that if we ever could really actually see him as he is, it would either kill us <laughs> or transform us into one of the two. And so when we're glorified, one day we'll see him actually as he is without these. We won't need these and we won't need that. And he, it will transform us to make him like he is. But now we see as through a glass darkened so that we don't fully understand and we can't fully comprehend and no matter how much we try to get a vision of God it will be darkened and dimmed by our current sinful condition so the tape <laughs> won't hold it together and the search for vision can't ever get us directly there how do we approach the holiness of God? Isaiah, a little farther, because as you know, Isaiah is the gospel of the Old Testament. That's what it is sometimes called. That and, of course, Psalm 110, which is the most quoted part of the Old Testament in the New Testament. It is the anchor text of the entire book of Hebrews. But Isaiah has the most messianic prophecies, has the most clear statements of the gospel, has the greatest depictions of God, is quoted on Christians' lips in Christian songs. Even today, the book of Isaiah, if you turn to Isaiah 61.10, there's another vision of holiness given that might finally help us. Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice... In the Lord, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. What's well, a beautiful verse. Don't you know the poetry in that? Here's the picture. It's like putting on different clothes. You know, you feel better when you're in good clothes that fit right, that make you look good. You feel like you stand a little bit taller. You, you, you don't feel like you look quite as dumpy as you did. You're like, That's, I don't look too bad. You put the clothes on, you feel good about it. That clothed in righteousness then is, yeah, I'm still me. And I got all my problems. I know what they are. I know I'm not perfect. But the righteousness of God now covers me, and salvation is what I'm wearing. And when you look at me, you don't see me, forgive me here, but naked and raw. You see me in a clothing that's, that, that, that's good and appealing, and, and I can walk out in public without shame. So I can then, because I'm clothed in the righteousness of God, stand out under the gaze of God and be like, well, there, there we go. 
It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Now, what's the problem with clothes that you can put on? Say it louder. You can take them off. Now, we all know that we are not our clothes. Doesn't God know this too? And more importantly, and perhaps more dangerously, we know that sometimes we put on the righteousness of God and sometimes we take it off to continue in our unholy ways. So if we're clothed with the righteousness of God, that's a beautiful and a good thing. Thank you, Lord. But it hasn't yet solved the problem, even yet. It's better than tape. Now God said he's going to clothe us with salvation and he's going to look at us and, 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 and name us by, by what's on us, uh, not what's in us. And that's a beautiful promise to become fulfilled, but it doesn't solve it yet. And I know what's in me, so I still know that even this sideways is going to be too bright. And dangerous if I gaze at him with the clothes of righteousness and I know my heart prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave would you take my heart take and seal it somehow would you would you seal it for your courts above do you remember that song have you ever heard it if not that's an old song of the church. When tape to hold things that are falling apart won't do, when glasses to try to get a closer picture of the holy that we can't gaze at without being destroyed won't do, when cloaks of righteousness that just cover over what is there won't do, where do we turn? <laughs> Ephesians 4 22, if you want to flip there, I hope you brought your Bibles. I love it when you do. You need to turn on your phone if you want to look at the screen. If not, go eat potato chips if you're looking. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians is after Galatians. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 starts to give us a hint. It's a bridge between the coat of Isaiah and something more. 422. Let's start just one verse before. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your coat. What's it say? To put off your... That's harder to do than a coat. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt unholy through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on new clothes just try to get it together try to look better 
Could you hold it together? Put your good face on. No? Put on your new self. Created after the likeness of God. Now listen. In true righteousness and holiness. In other words, the tape was to point out to us what we could never hold together no matter how hard we tried. The visions were to give us a glimpse of something that wasn't supposed to be outside of us and overcoming us, but was supposed to be inside of us and coming out of us. And the other trouble with the coat, a cloak of righteousness, it will keep you warm in the cold only if there's warmth from within. No matter how heavy a coat you put on yourself, it will not keep you warm if there's no heat inside. So instead, turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Flip to your left in your Bible just a little bit. The 2 Corinthians verse 5 now, chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, not his sake, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might not wear, not hold together, and not behold. Not tape, not coat, not glasses. We might become the righteousness of God. He's not interested in helping you hold your life together. His ultimate goal isn't for you to see some beautiful vision that's glorious or impressive or somehow does magic on you. He's not trying to keep you warm in the cold night of sin. He wants to remake you completely. To create you again in his image to so rework you from the inside out, you don't even recognize yourself. And when you look at yourself, you can honestly say, I'm becoming the righteousness of God. The sins that I used to try to hold back by closing it tight and keeping it shut like a closet you're holding and it won't even latch there's too much junk in it the things I used to try to hold at bay don't have that same appeal they don't even have that same pull they don't have that same compulsion anymore the natural bent that was this way is now straightened back out. The, the difficulties, the things that you kept falling into again and again and again, the proclivities of your own nature don't have to keep owning you, don't have to keep controlling you. The holiness of God 
It's not approached by us trying to hold things together. It's not approached by us trying to get a better picture. It's not, it's not approached by covering something up that isn't going away. <laughs> the holiness of God is received by him giving, taking your heart of stone, making it a heart of flesh, placing his spirit within you, writing his law upon your hearts so that you're moved from within to obey his laws and decrees. That's Ezekiel 36. The promise of the Old Testament was that nothing the Old Testament was presenting yet was going to fulfill our desires, but it was coming. It was coming. We didn't have to live in tape land. We don't have to live shielding and guarding. We don't have to cover up all the time. He wants to make you, not cover you, make you the righteousness of God. So that you become little Christs. Christian. A little Jesus. 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 And holiness then, the New Testament tells us, comes to us primarily in not fear and terror and running for our lives, but in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And we love him because he first loved us. So the way the transformation happens within us is not more tape, more stuff, more rule upon rule, do upon do. I'm never going to be good enough. Got to keep trying. Got to keep stacking it up. Got to try harder. It's not even some sort of spiritual quest for an amazing vision. It's not a begging for him to cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me, cover me. And some Christians even use the blood of Jesus this way. Oh, cover me in the blood of Jesus. No, no I, yes, yes, first of all, yes, first of all, yes, do that, yes. Get cleansed and then transform me. I need a new heart. I need a new spirit. I need a new mind. I need a new way. I can't just keep being covered every day. I've got to be transformed. Don't you? And when I experience the radical, sacrificial love of God, then love bubbles up within me. He loves me so much I want to love him back, can't ever do enough for him. And you know what it does then? Flips me all the way back to Leviticus. 19. this is going to be good Pastor James <laughs> flips us all the way back to Leviticus 19 verse 18 
when his love so fills us, we love him desperately, we'll begin to love what he loves. And he loves our neighbor. And you shall love your neighbor as if he was yourself. And finally, now, years later, I can see shall as a promise, not a rule. So it's a rule. but it's mostly a promise. You shall, Dave. You will. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And when this transformation takes hold fully and completely, you won't even realize you did it. Because it's become who you When the Huguenots in that little town of Les Chambon in France in World War II started taking in Jews to rescue them one at a time then it became known two at a time three at a time a dozen at a time they were just doing what seemed the most natural thing to do interviewed after the war they saved hundreds several of their members were taken out to Death camps didn't return because they knew they were hiding. They just couldn't find the Jews. Killed the pastor. Why did you do it when other Christians didn't? Other Christians weren't. Well, what else could we do? They thought it was normal. A young woman, I can't remember her name, went into the ghettos of, of Warsaw early in the war and saw the horrible conditions of the Jews. And she began smuggling out babies in baskets, backpacks. She trained her dog to bark incessantly on command so that it would drown out the noise of the babies crying so that she could sneak them out. She gathered a crew of other nurses who were allowed to go in to minister to the sick and she would convince the parents. She said, oh, you shouldn't trust me, but you've got to trust me. You probably won't make it out of here. But if you do, I'll bring your baby back to you. Give me your name and I will find you. She wrote the names of every parent and every baby on slips of paper and buried them in jars out in the yard. She saved 400 personally, 2,500 through her network of nurses before they captured her and threw her into a camp. Legs broken, feet broken, thrown out uh, to die. She was supposed to be murdered, but a bribe from friends kept her alive. They left her in the woods to die. Friends came and picked her up. She dug up the jars and carefully looked up every name. Most of the kids couldn't be returned to their parents because the parents were gone. But those that could be were returned. And when she was asked, she said, what else could I do? <laughs> it's possible for human beings to become the righteousness of God. Not hold it together, <laughs> not glance at it from the edge, not cover over what you keep on being.
but to become the love of Christ for your neighbor in the world. The way it happens is the Spirit fills us with His love, transforms us with that love, and continually, day after day after day, if we let Him, fills us not with terror, but with the most magnificent love you've ever experienced. Don't you want that, God? Would you stand with me? honest and say, you know, Dave, when you talk about it, I've not received his love that way. Maybe you'd say you're doing the tape thing, trying to hold it all together and it keeps falling apart. Maybe you're trying to catch some beautiful vision, some experience of it. Maybe you're just covering it over, covering it over, covering it over, covering it over. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just know that you haven't experienced him internally that way yet. Just look at me. You don't have to raise your hands, but if that's you, everybody else just pray and stay focused on the Lord. If that's you, just look at me. I see you. Yeah, I see you. Tim now if you were honest with me that way you're on my prayer list now <laughs> you're on my prayer list if I don't know your name yet I know your face just pray to him now say Lord I don't want to keep holding it together and I don't need just an experience of you and I can't just keep covering it up Would you look at me according to your love? Not according to my sins. I do need your blood. I need you to forgive me. Cleanse me anew and afresh. If you've prayed that before, pray it again. Lord, I do need your cleansing. It's not that I don't. Clothe me in righteousness. Clothe me in salvation. I do need that. But more than that, Lord, make me. Help me become your righteousness. Holy Spirit, fill me even now. Help me even now to experience the flood of love that can come. I surrender my life to you. I'm not going to keep trying to hold it together. I'm going to do it your way. I just open hands. If everything falls apart when I give it to you, it falls apart. I'm just laying it out before you. And I need to know your love. Holy Spirit, come.
So Lord, I pray for all of us. And if you want to rejoice in his love today, you can pray along with me, whisper in your own mind, pray in the spirit on your breath, whatever you want to do to just connect with him. Let this be a moment of worship between us and him. Lord, we long to approach your holiness in the only way we can, and that's by you placing your holiness within us. We can't be holy, but you told us, be holy as I am holy. And it's repeated in the New Testament more than once. We can't do it. We can't hold it together. We can't glance sideways. We can't cover it up. We need you to transform us. Take away our heart of stone. Put in us a heart of flesh. Write your law upon us. Cause us to be moved to fulfill your laws without even knowing we're doing it. We can't keep track of the list. Fill us with your motivation, with your heartbeat. Give us a renewed and refreshed love for our neighbor. Help us to be the love of Jesus Christ for the people we're living right next to, working right next to, driving right next to, eating right next to. Give us the love of Christ in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name.